0: Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 23 in our bi-weekly series of Saving Christianity, coming to you every other Tuesday from Christian Family Online. I'm Owen Allen, your host for this episode, and frankly, uh, I'd like to be very personal with you in this episode, because if you've heard me in previous episodes, you know that one of my favorite Bible verses is uh, in the book of John, the 7th chapter, the 38th verse. In other words, that verse, John seven thirty-eight, is one of the most beautiful and meaningful verses in the Bible. Uh, and it's one that uh, I've always loved and never knew exactly why. And over the years, it's grown on me why I like that verse, that one verse so much, because it's the verse in which Jesus talks about Christians having rivers of living water flooding up within them. Rivers of living water flooding up Within them. So, frankly, I'd like to dedicate this episode to that verse of Scripture, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about what it means to me, what it means to you, and what I think it means to all Christians. The title of this episode, then, is The Rivers of God, The Rivers of God. And unless I'm sadly mistaken... You're going to hear some facts about having a spiritual life, walking in the Spirit, the deeper spiritual walk, as they call it, uh, in this episode than you might never have heard before. So let's go ahead and get started. Don't let the clock get away from us. Now, we know, don't we, that many Christians today are wondering why Christianity is losing its influence in society and why attendance of worship services is rapidly declining everywhere, and why church buildings are being abandoned all around us. And we already know some of the answers to these questions because we've discussed them in previous episodes. The biggest reason, though, is this. National surveys show that institutional Christianity does not does not meet people's spiritual needs. Now, it meets some of people's social needs, and it meets some of people's entertainment needs, and those are good things as far as they go, but it doesn't meet many of people's spiritual needs. So in this episode, that leaves us with two big questions that all Christians at some point in life should stop and answer. First, what are What are spiritual needs? And second, how are spiritual needs met? To find the answers to these extremely important questions, we need to go all the way back to the roots of Christianity and the ancient harvest festivals of first century Israel, something maybe a lot of people haven't thought about. Let's do that for a few minutes. In first century Israel, they had three elaborate harvest festivals every year. God told them to have these festivals. So the festivals weren't optional. The people had to attend them. They had to have them. They had to attend them. The first festival, the first of the three harvest festivals, came in early spring, usually in March, and it was a seven-day celebration of their barley harvest, the barley grain harvest. And we're not going to talk about that harvest festival anymore uh, here in this episode because it's, it's really not relevant to our subject. But the second the second of the three harvest festivals came in later spring, usually in May, And it was a one-day, that's unusual, it was a one-day celebration of the wheat, the wheat grain harvest. Now, this festival is very important to Christians today because it's the key to how we have our spiritual needs met. And we're going to talk a lot about this festival in this episode. But before we do, let's quickly glance at the final uh, festival of the year. That's the third and last of the three annual harvest festivals that they had. It came in the early fall, usually in November. And it was an eight-day celebration of the grape, olive, and fig harvest. Now, as we said, God told the people to have these festivals. So in truth and in fact, the festivals were actually religious events. They were supervised by the temple priests. And the celebrations included things like parades through the city, marches out to the harvest fields, and ritual crop offerings out in the fields. And the whole purpose of these festivals was to thank God for, for a good harvest. And by the way, we need to pause here to see something interesting about this final harvest festival of the year because one of its rituals gives us our first clue to how our spiritual needs are met as Christians. That ritual was one that used water and the priests performed it in the temple While the people watched, and here's what they did. Each day, each day of the eight-day October festival, while hundreds of people in the temple watched, the priests performed a ritual that they didn't understand and that none of the people understood, although they'd all been doing this ritual in the temple for centuries. See if you can figure out what it meant. Here's what they did. Here's their performance. First, the priests marched through the city streets to the pool of Siloam in Jerusalem, carrying large water pitchers made out of purest gold. And we need to remember that then, as always, water, the water in that pool, was a symbol of the Holy Spirit. In those days, and the people believed that that water had the power to heal them. Imagine that. This Siloam pool was supposed to heal people if they dipped themselves in it. Well, the priests got there to the pool, and they filled their golden pitchers with water from the pool, and marched back to the temple carrying these golden pitchers. And when they got there, they performed the ritual that none of them understood. They poured the water, which we remember was a simple symbol of the Holy Spirit, they poured it on the altar while the hundreds of people watched. They did that every day for eight days, never knowing why. All they knew that was centuries before God had commanded them to do it. And what they didn't realize was that that ritual was a prophecy, a foretelling of something that was going to soon happen in the future. Now, this is where this strange ritual fits into our story uh, because uh, a day finally came when the priests and the people got their first clue to what the ancient water ritual meant. This was on the last day of the fall festival in October of 29 A.D. And this time, Jesus and his 12 disciples were in the temple watching the ritual. And as the priest poured the water on the altar, Jesus turned to his disciples and to the people standing nearby and he gave them a clue as to what the water ritual was saying was going to happen in the future. And remember, I say again, water was and still is today a symbol of the Holy Spirit and the clue that Jesus gave them standing there in the temple, is recorded in the Scripture, and that's that Scripture that's one of my favorite verses, John 7.38. And here's what Jesus told the people as they watched the priest pouring the water on the altar, and I quote, Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow up from within him or her. Let's read that again, Jesus speaking in the temple to the people. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow up from within him or her. Now, mercy, what did that clue mean? The truth is that Jesus' words were a prophecy, as I said. They were a forecast, a foretelling of an event that was about to happen in the near future. But what was it? What was it that was going to happen in the near future? Happily, one of the disciples, the Apostle John, was present in the group in the temple that day, and he's the one who wrote down the record of this event. And that record is in the New Testament today. We can read it right here again in John chapter 7. And the important thing is that John explained the prophecy about the living water in the very next verse. And here's what John said the prophecy about living water meant. In verse 739, here he goes, I quote, By this... In other words, by the words living water. By this, Jesus was was referring to the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive later. Because up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given. Now, that's a lot. And we would say that would be in parentheses explaining the previous verse where Jesus said rivers of living water will flow up within people who believe in him. By this, by the words living water, Jesus was referring to the Holy Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive later. Because up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given. Think about that. That's deep, heavy stuff. So Jesus' prophecy in the temple while the people were watching the ancient water ritual was a forecast of what? Of the day of Pentecost, which we're going to talk about here at length. It was going to be the day that the Holy Spirit came to earth from heaven. And when that happened, When it did happen seven months later, it would be the foundation day or the birthday of Christianity. On that day, the Holy Spirit would leave heaven, he would come down to earth, and he would start indwelling people. Indwelling people. Why? To make them Christians. But the fact that the Holy Spirit was going to come down from heaven wasn't really the most important part of Jesus's prophecy there in the temple that day. The most important part was the fact that the power of the Spirit that he called living water was going to flood up within Christians after all of this happened, after Christianity was founded, seven months later, and meet all of their spiritual needs. Can you imagine that? Meet all of their spiritual needs. Let's slow down and think about that for a second. Let's ask ourselves a couple of logical questions. What would happen to people if the Holy Spirit flooded up within them? Would they talk differently? Would they think differently? Would they act differently? Would their spiritual needs be met in new and different ways? These are important questions, don't you think? And we're answering them in these episodes. So let's continue our story. The problem that the disciples had at that point, standing in the temple in October of the year 29 A.D., was that the Holy Spirit had not yet come. Remember, John had explained parenthetically, up to that time, the Holy Spirit had not been given. So, when was the Spirit going to be given? A few months later, Jesus answered that question, too, just before he left earth to return to heaven. He gave the disciples their second big clue to what was about to happen, and he told them that after he got to heaven, he was going to do something very special up there. Imagine this now. I mean, how often do we know what's going to happen in heaven? Here's what he told the disciples he was going to do when he got back to heaven. He said, and I quote, I will ask the Father, and he will give you the Spirit of truth. That's one of the names of the Holy Spirit. He will give you the Spirit of truth, and you'll know him because now he lives near you, N-E-A-R. He lives near you you but then he will be in you i in in you let's repeat that i will ask the father and he will give you the spirit of truth and you'll know him because now he lives near you but then he will be in you now think about this with me a second There's a big difference between the Holy Spirit being near someone and the Holy Spirit being in someone. Can't we agree on that? Isn't that logical? For example, the Holy Spirit's near everybody in the world right now, isn't he? But he's not in everybody in the world, is he? And why not? Because that incredible event in dwelling is reserved for Christians only. And that's an earth-shaking spiritual difference, isn't it? Well, what happened next? Jesus' promise came true, as we said, seven months later. We've been talking about things that happened in the temple in October of 29, but now we're fast-forwarding seven months to May in the year 30 A.D., And a lot happened in those seven months. Jesus was arrested, tortured, crucified, and buried. He came back to life, and he taught the disciples 40 more days, and then he left and returned to heaven. But on the day he left, he gave them their final instructions. And he told the disciples, stay in Jerusalem don't leave. They see they were planning to go back to the province of Galilee in the Lake Galilee area. He told them, stay in Jerusalem and wait for the prophecy of living water to come true. And they did. A group of 120 of Jesus's former disciples, family and friends waited for 10 days in a house in Jerusalem. And then the morning of the spring wheat festival that we talked about dawned. Now remember, this is the second annual harvest festival of the year we said we'd talk about in detail in this episode. The name of that festival was and still is the Festival of Pentecost. One day wheat celebration. And so it was came to pass in those days that at nine o'clock in the morning of May 30th in the year 30 A.D., something happened that changed the world forever. Here's how the Apostle Luke described the event and the record that he wrote, and that's you find that in the second chapter of the book of Acts that Dr. Luke wrote. And I quote what Luke copied down, and here it is. When the morning of Pentecost came, they were all together in the same place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what appeared to be tongues of fire that separated and settled down in each one of them. And all of them, 120 of them, were filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Imagine these 120 people. Jesus' family was there. His half-brothers and half-sisters and his mother, the 12 disciples, original disciples were there, and about a hundred other people who had followed Jesus and believed in him were there. And then what happened? When the morning of Pentecost came, they were all together in the same place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, came down from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and settled down in each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And for the first time in world history, The first time, a group of 120 people was indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was no longer near people. Now he was in people. He was in people who believed in Jesus exactly as Jesus had promised seven months earlier in the temple. But you know what? There's a lot more to that story. The next thing that happened was the Apostle Peter stood up on the flat rooftop of the house where the first world's uh, first indwelling in the world had occurred, and explained to a crowd of three thousand people in the street below who had been attracted by the noise and the sight of the fire, and explained what had happened. and here's what he said. He told them, he told them exactly what we're saying. In this episode, he told them that Jesus had left earth and returned to heaven. And then this is what had happened in heaven. And I quote again, he, that's Jesus, he, Jesus, received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And he, Jesus, poured out, notice those two words, poured out what you now see and hear. Does that sound familiar? Where have we heard the terms pouring out before? Well, we heard it earlier when the priest poured out the pitchers of water on the altar, right? So the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the morning of Pentecost was the fulfillment, the completion, the fulfillment of the water ritual that the priest had been performing in the temple for centuries and didn't know what it meant well what did it what did it mean why is pentecost morning important in world history more than that more than that why is pentecost morning uh, important to you and to me today well here's the answer pentecost morning is important today because that morning is the birthday of Christianity. What happened at 9 o'clock that morning, May 30, 30 A.D., was the birthday of Christianity. That's why many Christians today hold special worship services on what they call Pentecost Sunday. They're actually throwing a birthday party for Christianity. They're celebrating the day Christianity was born, but more specifically, they're celebrating the day the Holy Spirit came down from heaven for the first time to indwell human beings and meet all of their spiritual needs. You know, speaking of birthday parties. Today, the official color of Pentecost Sunday in many denominations is the color red, R-E-D red, because that's a symbol of fire, the color of fire. And in many denominations, the members that morning wear red clothes to the Pentecost Sunday service. I've done that Or they hang up red banners, or they cut a red cake, or they light red candles, or they even drop red flower petals from the ceiling on their members. And all of these things celebrate the fact that the Holy Spirit came to earth that morning and founded Christianity. So let's pause here a second and understand what Pentecost morning means to you and me today. Here's the lesson. That morning gave us a definition that changed history. It's the definition of a Christian. Listen to this. A Christian is a person who's indwelled by the Holy Spirit, because he or she believes in Jesus and has dedicated his or her life to him. A non-Christian is a person who is not indwelled by the Holy Spirit because he or she does not believe in Jesus and has not dedicated his or her life to him. So what this definition means I just have to tell you this, is that Christians are different from all other people and from the members of all the other religions. Well, how are Christians different? Christians are different because they're indwelled by the Holy Spirit and all other people are not. And that's important. Why? Because it means Christians can have their spiritual needs met, hang on. And non Christians can. That is, <laughs> unless the non Christians become Christians. Oh, wait a minute. Let's look let's look at this from a different viewpoint, another viewpoint. It's popular today, I've been told this. It's popular today for people to say that all religions are the same. That all religions are equal. That all religions are just different paths, pathways up the same mountain to the same God. That Islam, Buddhism, Shintoism, Buddhism, and all the rest of the 4,000 religions in the world have the same result in your life if you join one of them. Except for one little problem that ain't true. That's not true because Christianity is the only one of the 4,000 religions in the world in which the Holy Spirit indwells people and gives them a way to have all of their spiritual needs met. No other religion does that or even promises that or even mentions that. Christians have rivers of living water in them and non-Christians don't. And that's why we gave this episode the title, The Rivers of God. Every Christian has rivers of supernatural power within him or her just waiting to be expressed. And what are our spiritual needs? What are spiritual needs? What do these wonderful rivers of living water do inside Christians. They do three different things, or you could say they meet three different spiritual needs. Here are the three different ways the Holy Spirit acts in us. First, He acts with spiritual emotions, supernatural emotions like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And these, of course, create that type of outer behavior in us during the day. So spiritual behavior. Second, spiritual experiences such as visits from angels and miraculous rescues from danger and all the rest. And third, He acts with spiritual gifts, gifts of the Spirit they're called, healings, dreams, visions, prophecies, and all the other supernatural abilities. And here's what's important about all of this. These three different expressions of the Holy Spirit in us are the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life, all Christians are supposed to have these three different expressions of the Spirit all day and all week and all month. So, I think we've answered the two questions we asked at the top of the show. Now we know what spiritual needs are, and now we know how spiritual needs are met. That was the good news But now, at the risk of being negative, let's talk a little bit about the bad news. Here's the bad news. We said Christianity is the only religion in which the participants are indwelled by the power of the Spirit, right? And that's a wonderful thing, but here's the problem. What we didn't say is that Christians have complete willpower or complete power of choice over the indwelling Supernatural power of the Spirit. I often say it this way. The Holy Spirit works by invitation only. The Holy Spirit works by invitation only. He never overrides human willpower. So what does that mean? It means if you and I are not open to these supernatural expressions of the Spirit for any reason, we will not experience them, and that means we have a big problem, because many Christians have never invited the Holy Spirit to express His supernatural fruit and gifts and experiences in their lives, and personally, I believe that invitation is something that all Christians need to do. We have proof of that, too. As we've said many times in this podcast, national surveys by Gallup, Barna, Pew, and all the other survey companies show that the average Christian today has no more spiritual power than a non-Christian. Now, isn't that proof positive that many Christians today have never invited the Holy Spirit to express His fruit and gifts and experiences in their lives? I mean, what else could prove it? I think that's true. Speaking of truth, let me pause here and tell you one quick true story that illustrates how the average Christian is living today. How is the average Christian living today? I have a Christian friend who was watching a whitewater rafting movie on TV one night with his wife. And they decided they wanted to try whitewater rafting for themselves. As you know, this is, I guess you'd call it a sport, where six or eight people get in a big yellow raft and they go down a raging river and go over waterfalls and stuff, and it's called whitewater rafting. Well, anyway... They went to the bedroom and got on the computer and went online, and they found a company that offered whitewater rafting trips. And so here you've got this website with a beautiful log cabin-looking building and a restaurant and a gift shop. And behind it, though, was this raging white river. So they got all excited, and they signed up. And on the appointed day, they arrived at this log building, at 8 in the morning, in fact, to start their adventure because the trip included breakfast. So they were taken out on a broad veranda and seated at an ice table, and as soon as they got settled, my friend turned around in his chair and looked out because he wanted to see the raging river behind the log building, and there was nothing there. There was nothing behind the log building but a dry creek bed except that it did seem to have a teeny-weeny ankle-deep stream running through the center of this rocky creek bed. So my friend got up from the table and walked out there. He wanted to see what this was and get a close look at the problem, and sure enough, there was nothing there but a dry creek bed of stones and a teeny little stream running through it. So he was outraged. My friend ran back to the table and sat down with his wife, and he, and he said, either they're in the wrong place or the rafting company is a scam. Well, about that time, the server came to the table to take their order. So my friend said to the server, where's the river? Are we in the wrong place or what? And the server burst out laughing, and the server said no. No you're not in the wrong place. When the power plant upstream opens the floodgates at 830, you'll have all the water you can handle. And that's exactly what happened. At 830, they're sitting there eating their bacon and eggs, and suddenly they heard a roaring sound, and a wall of water came rushing down the creek bed and filled it, with clear white water, and they had their rafting adventure after all. Now, what's the point of the story? The point of the story is what I call the trickles of God. We said the average Christian today is no more spiritual than a non-Christian. Let me say that a little different way. The average Christian today is only ankle-deep in the supernatural power of God. He or she only has the trickles of God. He or she doesn't have the rivers of God. Think about that. Many Christians have the trickles of God. They don't have the rushing, glorious rivers of God. Why is that? Well, I'm sure there are many reasons. One reason is that many Christians have never been told that they need to be filled with the power of the Spirit and enjoy the spiritual fruit gifts and experiences that the Spirit gives us. Or maybe they were told as children or something, but they've forgotten it. They got too busy with life. One day they suddenly realized they were living as mere humans. Listen, Christians are not meant to live as mere humans. And maybe that's where you are today as you listen to this episode out there in podcast land because, look, it can happen to anybody. You don't need to feel guilty about it. It happened to me. It can happen to you. It even happened to the early Christians. Did you know that? People forget. Here's proof of it. The Apostle Paul had to remind some of the Christian small groups in the city of Corinth, Greece, who they were. His reminder is in the third chapter of the book of First Corinthians, but here's what Paul said, and I quote, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? Don't you know? that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you and who you received from God. Down through the ages, Christians have tended to forget that they have supernatural power within themselves. I know that because I forgot. When I was young, I was active in a Christian congregation, but I only had the trickles of God. I didn't have any more spiritual power than my non-Christian friends at school had, and I didn't know what to do about it. But then one day, everything changed. I was sitting in a friend's car in my driveway. We had been in a coffee shop all afternoon reading the book of Acts and the Bible and discussing the miracles that the early Christians enjoyed. And as we sat there in the driveway, we decided that we needed the same kinds of miracles in our lives. So we decided that we needed healings and dreams and prophecies and visions and angels in our lives the same way Paul and Peter and John and Luke and all the other early Christians had them. And so we decided to pray. (laughs) And we laid our heads on the dashboard and we prayed for God to give us everything that the early Christians had in the book of Acts. Can you imagine? And then my friend went home, and I went in the house for dinner. But within days, Jesus' promise of living water for all Christians came true in our lives. The rivers of God began to flow in our lives, and we began to have all of our spiritual needs met. And here's the good news. Those supernatural rivers have never, bless God, stopped flowing. We no longer have the trickles of God. Now we have the rivers of God. And let me paraphrase an old saying from Broadway. I've had the trickles and I've had the rivers. And I can tell you having the rivers is better. I think I'll repeat that. I've had the trickles, and I've had the rivers, and I can tell you having the rivers is better. So as we come to the end of this episode, it's it's possible that some of you listening out there in podcast land may find yourself in the same situation I was in that afternoon in my driveway. You may have the trickles of God in your life instead of the rivers. You may feel that you need more healings, supernatural dreams, prophecies, visions, and angels in your life the same way that I did. And so, let's do what I did in my driveway. Let's pray. Let's pray right now the way I prayed that day. Just in your mind, pray with me now. Lord God in heaven, I need the same kind of spiritual power that Paul and Peter had in the book of Acts. I need the living water that Jesus promised all Christians. I don't want the trickles of God. I want the rivers of God. So I'm asking you from this day forward, fill me with your spirit. Give me the same spiritual fruit gifts and experiences that the early Christians had. And for all the spiritual things you're going to give me, I give you all of the honor and the glory and the credit. Amen. And so now, my dear friend, you're taking the journey too. You're, you've got many wonderful experiences ahead. Believe in them, watch for them, expect them, enjoy them, and remember Jesus promised them to you in John 7:38. That's why I love that verse. And remember, Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. And this means that his promise of supernatural power is real and true and permanent in our lives. Well, I can see by the big clock on the wall that my time is up in this episode. But I pray that you've enjoyed hearing about the rivers of God and that your life is going to be flooded and filled with them like that raging white river my friend went down. Remember, this is episode 23. And a script and recording of it are on our website at goscpod.com. But for now... This is Owen Allen speaking for myself and for our intrepid producer, Shannon Wolf, saying, May the God of our fathers bless you and keep you and guide you and protect you until we meet again.